Ah, beloved, I'm Pastor Trey, and you're now listening to the New Living Translation. This is Bonafide Bible Talk, because God speaks my language too, and I'm sure enough about to act like it. Let's go. Can we keep it a buck real quick? I am tired of this pandemic. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like, I'm tired of having to worry about whether or not I have enough clean masks to make it through the day. Um, tired of trying to calculate social distancing and just the risk calculation of certain events and how strict we need to be in buckling down or whether or not we need to be buckled down at all when we already sending all of our kids back to school because there's no longer an online option. It's just a whole lot of stuff to worry about. And then at the same token, there's this uh, fervor among the faith community with regards to whether or not we are letting fear stop us from exercising and practicing our command to gather and worship together. There's even this refrain that's popular among some people that says that we should practice faith over fear, and that we shouldn't live in fear of this pandemic. But one of the problems I have with that is that I personally know people who've contracted COVID at church functions. Some of them didn't make it out to ICU. The pragmatist in me wants to hone in on the fact that we cannot use faith as cover for irresponsible behavior. We can't just go out doing whatever we feel like doing and calling it faith. The same Bible that tells us to walk in faith and not by sight also tells us not to test the Lord our God. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, one of the temptations was to bring him to a peak and throw himself off because God would surely save him. Jesus reminds Satan that we are not to put God to the test. So there comes this balance in trying to be a faithful Christian and what that requires of you. Should you walk around like Superman who only has one known weakness and everything else is just bouncing off of you? Or do we move a little more carefully? I found myself wrestling with this question and how to have these conversations with people in general and people of faith in particular. Just wondering, grasping if there was any one particular story that I might be able to have this discussion around. Then I remember this story about a gentleman who found himself in a somewhat similar situation. A life or death matter where inaction would yield one result and action that looked a little weird maybe a little excessive and overreaction to some people who didn't have all the information but really nobody had all the information everybody just did the best they could with the information that they did have and most people just wanted to keep on living life as normal and I found that story and in a moment I'm going to share that story with you because if the Bible has any relevance to us today it has to be in how people of faith throughout history have wrestled with the messier parts of life. What do we do when tragedy strikes? What do we do when we see lives at large scale taken away? How do we reconcile that with a benevolent creator? And most importantly, how are we supposed to act down here while all of this is going on? None of these are particularly new questions or problems that we have to work through. As a matter of fact, the story we're going to today is way back in the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8. 
tells the story of a man named Noah and his family. What makes Noah's story particularly interesting to me is that he's one of those people who comes along before Moses, before Abraham even. Meaning that the whole concept of the law and the Ten Commandments and scripture in general, I wasn't really there for him. All Noah had was some belief that there was a benevolent creator behind all of creation. Even in the face of a lot of evidence that suggested that creation might not be that dope at the moment. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this story of Noah and his family during this time of the Great Flood. A period of a lot of natural chaos and loss of life that was hard to make sense of. Particularly through the lens of this good God. So today's story is going to help us with an examination of how faith responds when don't nothing else make no sense. Let's get into it. Here's the story of Noah and his family. Noah was a good dude. Just about the only one of them left. He was serious about his relationship with God. Now, God saw that the people was tripping. Big time. Creation. This beautiful utopia had become corrupted over the generations. People were exploiting each other, killing each other. There was no community, only the self. And God saw that. So God tells Noah that it's time to hit the reset button. My mind is made. I'm sick of this. I'm about to turn the whole world off and turn it back on again. Sit it in some rights for a little bit. I'm going to airdrop you some instructions, some dimensions for this boat I need you to build. Like, basically, it's about to rain like you ain't never seen. And if you don't build this boat, you're getting lost with everything else in the reboot. Think of this boat like a external hard drive. You feel me? Everything on the external hard drive is getting uploaded after the reboot. So you might want to bring your wife and your sons and their wives in. Like two of every animal. Don't worry about finding the animals, though. They're going to come to you. Make sure it's a male and a female of each animal, though. Otherwise, y'all gonna be crammed up into that sneaky boat for no reason. Also, bring like 14 of every animal y'all plan on eating, because I'm warning you right now. If y'all get hungry and barbecue something in the extinction, I'm gonna be pissed. So Noah did all of that. He just like did it because he believed that that's what God said. Noah got his wife and his sons and their wives and a whole bunch of animals. And he went on to this boat that he just built in the middle of the desert. And they just stayed there. Nothing even happened for a week. It was just gathered around this petting zoo and a do-it-yourself yacht on dry land for a whole week before it even rained. But then it rained. <laughs> a lot. They moved the whole family. Noah, his wife, his three sons, their wives, and the whole daggone zoo onto this boat in a rain for 40 days, nonstop, major flooding. And the only folks safe was the ones who got in the boat. Now, this flood lasted for half a year before things started to change. But they didn't get off the boat right away. Noah was cautious with it. He sent birds to check on the conditions. It was weeks and weeks after the flood started receding before Noah even looked outside for himself. And even after that, 
another couple months before the earth was dry enough. Finally, God told Noah to lead a boat. All right, Noah, the reboot is finished. Y'all let them animals go, and then you get off the boat. Well, I guess the reboot ain't finished, finished yet. Got one more thing I need y'all to do. Go ahead and get busy, get busy if you catch my drift. So they left the boat. And Noah builds this altar in this barbecue pit. And he makes an offering to God. And they christen the reboot with this big old cookout. God's pleased with the sin of this offering and this cookout. So God says, I'm not doing no more reboots. I don't care how raggedy these folks start acting. I'm going to work with this version. Now, this is a very popular story. You don't have to be a religious person of any sort to be somewhat familiar with the story of Noah and the Ark. And we could spend a few full 45 minute length episodes discussing all of the things and unpacking these various aspects of the story of Noah and the Ark. But right now, I want to focus on the faith of a man named Noah and what it takes to build a boat in the middle of a desert based upon what you believe that a God who nobody else has even heard of is spoken to you. So let's get into this. One of my favorite questions to ask of stories like this is, what are the good guys doing? Also, is the good guy really the good guy? Here, I think the answer is yes. I think that Noah is a good guy. And I think that Noah has an impossible task. How do I continue with life when the situation I'm seeing, when the picture I've been given is a bleak one. And here in 2021, stuff don't always look so friendly. It really doesn't. It seems like we be getting smacked by disaster after disaster. As I'm recording this, we're in the 18th month of a global pandemic. Uh, the nation of Haiti has its president assassinated and then experienced an earthquake. As I'm recording this, the state of Louisiana, the New Orleans area, the Gulf Coast of the United States is experiencing another Category 4 hurricane. The people of Afghanistan are experiencing another wave of violence and turmoil as a result of the fallout of geopolitical decisions they may not have even asked for themselves. And that's just the stuff in the news. That's just the stuff that we're hearing about. My question is, what do we as people of faith do? One of the most frustrating things for me is seeing how some of these things that should not be politicized. Obviously, what's going on in Afghanistan has a very heavy political element. Um, some of these things are natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes. We can't do too much about that. But when it comes to this pandemic and how we as a community, as a society, as a church, how we respond to this says a lot about what we actually believe. And there's been a lot of people who have tried to make wearing masks or encouraging people to get vaccinated seem like an overreaction. It makes me wonder how people must have felt about a man building a boat in the middle of the desert. When people question why we should have to take so many precautions about a virus that most people who contract actually end up surviving or living through, I'd imagine a lot of those same people would have a lot to say about a man building a giant boat in the middle of a dry land. Sometimes operating in faith requires you taking steps based upon how you read a situation. 
some of the inputs that we have. Even though millions of people have contracted the coronavirus disease and lived to tell us about it, in this country alone, over 600,000 people have a different story. Across the world, millions of people have died as a result of this virus. The question I'd like to leave you with is how does faith respond? Interestingly enough, in these three chapters, we don't actually have dialogue between God and Noah. We don't get to hear Noah's words. We don't get to examine his thoughts. All we are left with are Noah's actions. Based upon all of the information that Noah has, based upon how Noah sees God interacting in his midst, all we have is what Noah does. You see, faith rarely calls us to inaction. We don't need to have faith to do nothing. We need to have faith to do something. Even if that something looks irrational, even if that something looks like an overreaction, even if that something doesn't make sense to the people around us, what people will remember us for is what we do based upon our belief that God is not done with us yet. Noah's action required him to move with the assumption that God was still in the business of redeeming out of that creation. Even if all Noah saw when he looked around was wickedness, even if all he saw was God being grieved, Noah could not wrap his mind around God being done. So he took steps to protect himself, to protect his family, and ultimately to preserve not just humanity, but all of creation. And that's what faith looked like in that moment. Faith looked like buckling down taking proactive measures to make sure that you had what you needed to stay put and believing that God's rescue and rest was on the way. So yes, we should practice faith over fear, but recognize that when your faith has to face something real, it's going to call for you to do something out of the ordinary. And sometimes it might not look the way you want it to. Sometimes it looks like sitting in a stinky situation for months and months and months waiting on God to tell you to get busy again. Translation is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. You can follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. That's the number three, not spelled out, black men. You can find me on all social media platforms at Pastor Trey 05. That's Pastor Trey 05. Don't send me no Facebook requests, though. Like, I don't be over there. That's the bad place. This work has been made possible by a community of folks who've chosen to show their support through generosity. You can join us at patreon.com slash three black men. Spell three out that time, though. Patreon.com slash three black men. There you can find even more original content from Sam, Rob, and yours truly. Make sure you subscribe to, rate, and review the New Living Translation and three black men wherever you get your podcast. And remember, real recognize real. Don't get caught looking unfamiliar. <laughs>